Welcome to Clinical Nutrition Notes, a podcast where we speak with guest experts and opinion leaders about the art and science of clinical nutrition. Brought to you by Nestle Health Science Canada. This podcast is intended for healthcare professionals for educational purposes. I'm your host, Cindy Steele, Medical Affairs Manager with Nestle Health Science. Today we'll be speaking with Rachel Adams to get an understanding of a relatively new concept in protein nutrition, looking specifically at whey protein and the role it can play in the management of blood glucose. Dr. Rachel Adams recently completed her PhD in nutrition at Texas Women's University. She is a registered dietitian with a Master's of Science degree in nutrition communication from Tufts University. Rachel began her career in clinical dietetics and spent the last 15 years in corporate medical affairs, clinical sciences, nutrition communication, and marketing. Currently, she is a health and nutrition communication strategy consultant and an adjunct professor at Texas Women's University. Dr. Adams has been an invited speaker to medical schools, fellowship programs, and state and national meetings. Welcome, and thank you for joining us, Rachel. You published a review titled Insulinotropic Effects of Whey, Mechanisms of Action, Recent Clinical Trials, and Clinical Applications. To set the stage, can you briefly describe what is meant by the term insulinotropic? Sure. The term insulinotropic refers to the ability to stimulate or affect the production of insulin, which is really vital in managing blood glucose levels. And cretin hormones like the gastric inhibitory peptide, or better known as GIP, and the glucagon, like peptide 1, also known as GLP-1, are both insulinotropic. I was interested in what could be done from a dietary perspective, and specifically in regard to protein choice, to positively affect insulin activity. Okay. So then, as the title of your paper alludes to, it appears whey protein is considered an insulinotropic nutrient. Can you briefly describe for us what we know to date about the effects of whey protein on insulin production and action? Of course. We know that in general, whey protein increases insulin production and sensitivity and has a positive effect on the glycemic response. It appears to do this without the negative effect of increased fat deposition that's often seen with elevated insulin levels or also known as hyperinsulinemia. The benefits begin with a dose of whey protein that can be as low as 10 grams, so most of the research published shows that the best results are really between this 25 to 55 gram margin. Positive effects have been found when whey was consumed as a preload or with a meal, and the effect of whey preloads was actually strong enough that a couple of different studies have suggested that it be considered a long-term management strategy in patients with type 2 diabetes. And I'm sure it's hard to do this without a whiteboard or slides in front of you, but you know, hearing, hearing that, it begs the question, how does whey protein exert its insulinotropic effects or action? Yes, it's much easier to describe this one if we uh, have the screen in front of us, but... And the answer to this is just really pretty complicated, and honestly, researchers are still trying to understand exactly how whey exerts its insulinotropic effect. But most likely, there are a few mechanisms involved, and the pathways are all sort of interconnected. This is where a whiteboard would be fantastic. But the three main mechanisms seem to be the comparatively rapid gastric emptying rate of whey protein, um, second, its effect on the incretin hormones, and then third, its ability to inhibit dipeptidyl peptidase 4, which is quite the mouthful, so I'm just going to refer to it by its acronym going forward, DPP4. 
So GLP-1 and GIP that I mentioned earlier are incretin hormones with really strong insulinotropic effects, though they actually work through different mechanisms. Now, the effect of whey on these hormones is actually pretty inconsistent in the literature, but that's probably because of just methodological differences between the various studies. So depending on the study, the dose of the protein, the fat composition of the meals, and then the type of whey can actually all affect the response. And whey also digests more quickly than casein, which makes sense if you know very much about cheese making. So whey is a liquid portion of milk that's left over in the cheese making process, and casein is actually what forms those nice curds. Now, some studies have classified whey as what's called a rapid-release protein because it's metabolized quickly. Now, this rapid digestion also causes a rapid rise in amino acids, and specifically the branched-chain amino acids, which, interestingly, are second only to glucose in promoting insulin secretion. The rate of gastric emptying and this incretin hormone release have a combined effect because gastric emptying influences the rate of incretin hormone secretion. And besides the effect on gastric emptying and incretin hormones, whey inhibits action of, again, that DPP-4, which DPP-4 quickly breaks down that GIP, gastric inhibitory peptide, and is responsible for over 95% of the breakdown and inactivation of GLP-1. The DPP-4 activity is known to be positively associated with hyperglycemia, and it's, we've also found that it's really high in individuals with both type 1 and type 2 diabetes. There are several studies that have also evaluated whey as an adjunctive therapy to gliptins, a group of medications that are given orally that inhibit DPP-4 and are used to treat type 2 diabetes by lowering the fasting and also that postprandial blood glucose, as well as another medication, metformin, that's commonly prescribed for the treatment of type 2 diabetes. And these found that whey can um, actually lead to an improved glycemic response when used either in com well when used in combination with with these two medications. So, like I said at the beginning, there really is a lot to play here, and it's a pretty complicated process that we're still really trying to understand. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> it is complicated. And I'm really glad that there's people like you that have sifted through that literature and the literature with, you know, inconsistent findings to um, sort it out and put it as as easily as you can in terms that, uh, you know, make it understandable. So thank you for that. Um, if whey can do this, then is there evidence that shows other sources of protein? You mentioned casein. Can, does it have the same effect on insulinemia? So that's a really good question. And most proteins do have some glycemic effect when they're taken as either a preload or with a meal. However, most studies comparing the glycemic response of like various protein sources, which include meals with mixed proteins or vegetarian protein exclusively, these generally report a greater effect on, from whey protein. Now, there's intervention studies have pretty consistently shown that dairy products, including um, those with both casein and whey, do have a more potent effect on insulin compared to other commonly consumed animal or plant-based protein. And casein has been shown in in vitro studies and mouse models to actually also inhibit DPP-4 to some extent. There was a, a study published not too long ago by Bull and colleagues and found that casein increased 
postprandial GLP-1 response compared to whey protein, and this was in obese adults. And they were given 60 grams of whey, which is quite a lot, or casein protein, with 65 grams of milk fat that was either with high or low medium chain saturated fatty acids, and they went on for 12 weeks. What was really interesting is that despite the increased GLP-1 in this casein supplemented group, there was not a significant difference in postprandial glucose or insulin levels. And the GIP, the gastric inhibitory peptide secretion, was actually not significantly different between the two proteins. The effect of the whey on the incretin response in this case was probably blunted due to that really high fat content of the test meal because we know that high levels of fat will actually slow the gastric emptying and we go back up thinking about the mechanisms of action that certainly have had an effect on the whey. There was another randomized study this one in elderly patients to hydrolyzed whey or casein formulas to assess the effects on, of these proteins on the acute phase response after it was an ischemic stroke. And they found that there wasn't a significant difference on days one or five. But in my opinion, there was what we would consider to be a very clinically relevant response to the whey since uh, glucose actually only increased from 132 milligrams per deciliter from, on day one to 139, so a seven-point increase. Um, between days one and five. But the casein group actually increased from 148 baseline milligrams per deciliter on day one to 214 on day five. So the body of evidence, I think, supports a stronger insulinotropic effect and really just a stronger glycemic effect for whey. Thank you for that. And uh, I don't think I'd like to be a subject in that study where they consumed all of that milk fat. That that uh, doesn't seem like something I would have liked to have been involved with, but uh, certainly helps us tease out what the action is here for sure. So, you know, you mentioned sort of the fast gastric emptying. Is there anything about anything else about the, the whey or casein that might have sort of have them behave differently or have different effects on insulin and glucose levels other than that gastric emptying? Yeah, so really going back to those mechanisms of action, the answer really here is likely multifactorial. Um, Certainly gastric emptying plays a role and the subsequent digestion, the rate of digestion plays a significant role. We know that the branch chain amino acids and these bioactive peptides that are found in whey are likely key contributors here. And whey is also known to be more bioavailable. So that basically means it can have a higher protein efficiency ratio, a net protein ratio, and true digestibility when it was compared to either casein or a casein whey blend in one study. Now, you mentioned in the previous question, you, you talked about hydrolyzed whey, and we, we do hear that hydrolyzed whey can empty faster than... Um, well, I believe, I don't know, you can clarify that for me, then uh, intact whey. And, and do we see that hydrolyzed whey exerts a different insulinotropic effect than intact, or is it the same? So actually, the form of whey really does make a difference. And it seems like from most of the studies and that uh, hydrolyzed whey protein and actually casein, when it, both of them are hydrolyzed, they do have a greater effect. There was a study by Calvert and Hulse that found that both whey and casein elicited about a 50% more or 50% more gastric secretions and greater GIP release than their whole protein counterparts. And this was during the first 20 minutes of gastric emptying after subjects had been fed a test formula through an NG or nasogastric tube. 
Now, as to why you might see this effect with hydrolysis, uh, for whey in particular, these, again, getting back to the branched-chain amino acids in whey that are known to stimulate insulin secretion. Um, what's interesting, though, with whey, though, is it's, it's, we know it's not just amino acids because some studies point to actually the peptides, the way peptides is having a more direct effect. And cert, we know that certain amino acids, certain of these branched-chain amino acids, and certain types of these peptides of the way peptides actually activate the release of these incretin hormones when they're digested in the intestines. Also, the type of protease uh, used to hydrolyze the proteins also affects the degree to which this DPP-4 is inhibited. Uh, there was some research that's shown that trypsin um, is a type of protease here, it seems to be the most effective because peptides that were the result of a trypsin hydrolysis were actually shown to DP, decrease that DPP-4 in a dose-dependent manner and also were shown to lower blood glucose. So hydrolysis definitely makes a difference. It's, it's really interesting, and it's, it's interesting because it's something that when I was doing clinical nutrition, you know, we, di we really didn't know very much about at all. Um, to the best of your knowledge, do you know if clinicians are using this information about whey and the impact it can have on blood glucose management to help manage patients? Yes. So I, kind of like you, I've been out of clinical practice for a while and thick and heavy in research these recent years. Um, but I do know that there are a couple of practice-based publications that have come out comparing hydrolyzed whey tube feeding formulas to either a casein-based or hydrolyzed casein and whey blend um, in two different study populations. So one of them was looking at patients that had type 2 diabetes, and the other one was looking at critically ill patients who were on the vent. And while the formulations varied in both of these trials, both of them demonstrated that patients who were on that 100% whey formula did have significantly improved glycemic responses. And that was the two populations of ICU and type 2 diabetes, you were saying? Correct. That's interesting. You know, in your opinion, where should the research go next as far as supporting using whey protein to help manage blood glucose? What were, where would you like to see this? You know, what's, what questions are still unanswered for you? So there are a couple of, of places I think that I would like to see the research go. Um, certainly one is more in this the place of the hypocaloric feedings, which are becoming a thing. One of the studies I just mentioned was by Todd Rice and colleagues, and um, he was looking at the, this ventilated population, and they used a formula that was novel and that it was both um, high in protein and had reduced carbs, and so some of these carbs were displaced with other nutrients. And he attributed this their findings, which was a lower incidence of hyperglycemic episodes and an increase in blood glucose levels kind of within that normal range in these, in these patients, to two things, one of them being this, the decreased carbs and the other one being the effect of whey protein. And whey protein was kind of a passing mention, but I feel like it, given what we've been discussing today, there's, there's probably a lot there um, that it probably does play a pretty significant role in this. And so treating these critically ill patients, I think, is uh, an area of great interest and opportunity. Another one is, I think, probably the most interesting effective uh, result of whey's effect on insulin is that while it increases insulin production, it has not been found to increase fat mass. And I in mentioned that briefly when I talked about fat deposition. But this hyperinsulinemia um, is typically linked to obesity. And yet, 
we don't know yet why increased levels of insulin resulting from this way don't have this effect. And I think that it's pretty underappreciated and actually deserves some more attention. And in fact, whey has actually been shown to have the opposite effect of what you would expect. So recently there was published uh, studies on people with type 2 diabetes who were supplemented with whey, and they found that even small doses of whey, and I'm talking like considerably small doses, it's only 15 grams of the preload, led to significant improvements in satiety, and this was um, in men with type 2 diabetes, and then the patients experienced significant weight loss while with type 2 diabetes while on these preloads. So I think there's a lot um, there to look at in terms of just satiety and weight control uh, to explore with the whey protein. Yeah, I think you're right. It's certainly an area where a lot to learn, a lot to understand. I know that I will go back and listen to this many, many times to understand <laughs> the mechanisms, and I really appreciate you taking the time with us today to try to, you know, to summarize it and to try to make it um, a topic that's understandable and to, to generate some interest because, you know, until we have interest, we won't have uh, people asking the questions. So I really appreciate that. We'd love to um, end the podcast with a question that we ask all of our guests and so that our listeners can get to know you a little bit more. Can you tell us how you first became interested in the field of nutrition? Well, it's sort of a, an interesting response given our topic. So I actually grew up on a dairy farm in Texas. And in this you know, case of full disclosure, and because we're talking about whey, I feel like I need to tell you, your listeners, that I don't take <laughs> any funding from the dairy industry. But it's just sort of interesting that I ended up researching whey. But uh, both sets of my grandparents actually lived nearby, and they both had gardens that were over two acres, just these huge, beautiful gardens. And it was really, uh, for you know a kid growing up in Texas in the country, it was pretty idyllic to have such great family close by and one of my grandmothers would make sourdough bread a couple times a week and she would tell me how she added wheat flour and oats to increase fiber and she put it in raisins for iron and so my interest in nutrition started when I was really young and it grew as I became involved in 4-H which is a leadership organization for kids and then um, when I was in school I would became just more interested and through high school, and I saw my grandfather uh, actually pass away, I think, way too young because of heart disease and complications of diabetes. And it was really then that I began for the first time to become interested in nutrition from a medical perspective. And that's what led to my undergraduate degree in nutrition, and then after that, I became less interested in, in really the clinical work and more interested in the research and the communication. So, and also part of this is, you know, just from growing up on a dairy and, and having exposure to the food business. And so I did a master's in nutrition communication. Because one thing I know for sure about this field is that, you know, not only does everyone have an opinion, but everyone seems to think there's an expert opinion. So, oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> so you know well, that well. Yes, exactly. And, and and hence the evolution of your career from... Yes, well, it's yeah. exactly right. So that's actually why I went back and, and did my PhD in nutrition, because I wanted to understand the science better in order really to be able to communicate it more effectively. And I just, I believe it's so important that as nutrition experts, we do our very best to help consumers and patients make informed choices about the foods they eat that can impact their health. 
and the role that nutrition can play in disease prevention and management. Key things for sure. And we're really glad you did do your PhD and carrying on and helping us uh, understand this. So on that note, I'd like to thank Dr. Rachel Adams for joining us and for shedding some light on another example of how there's still so much more to learn about nutrition and the role that specific nutrients, as well as foods as a whole, can play in the management of health. Thank you to all of our listeners.